Are you a creative who just wrapped up your independent film, new book, or album release? Or are you just looking for help on your fundraising campaign? Well, then you're going to need a marketing strategy. Smart House is a marketing agency that specializes in creative projects and independent films. They provide digital strategies, social media support, publicity services, branding, and fundraising strategies to help indie artists just like you. Smart House was founded to help indie artists with all budgets find their audience and bring their projects to the world. Smart House has helped a ton of artists reach their goals, including the Making Movies is Hard podcast. That's right. They're helping us grow our audience and they can help you too. Go to smarthousecreative.com to get started today. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bussell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, and Tubi. I'm Liz Manichel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently making another one called Best Friends Forever. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative. But this week, we welcome filmmaker Jay Shim on the show to talk about making his first feature film, Opus Cope, about composer and author David Cope, who spent his life teaching computers how to make music. Jay talks about how he discovered David and his work, and how he formed his first feature blending documentary and fiction together through the film. After that, we play another round of You're the Expert. I don't have a voice for that. You're the Expert. But first, Ulrich, how are you? I'm doing good, I guess. I feel like last week was crazy because I was like super sick. Mm. And yeah, then I uh, basically didn't really do anything (laughs) at all towards anything. Yeah, I'm basically just still thinking about writing. Like, I really thought that I was going to write last week. Like, I was like, oh, man, this is going to happen. And then it didn't. But yeah, you know, basically don't have a lot uh, uh, to talk about update wise. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I, I that's happening that I haven't talked about at all is somebody reached out to me from Atlanta who saw the alternate on Tubi and was like, Hey, I've got this comic book. Like, I want you to write the feature length script of this comic book and help me make this. And Ooh. we did the short film version of it a few years ago. That was cool. And then, you know, it, it like, you know, it was cool. It, 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 you know, he, he wasn't very happy with it because like the writer director of that like changed things a lot. And I was like, okay, like I can see what, why things are different. But basically, like, he's got. S- Three, two episodes, two issues of this comic book that I'm reading. And then he's got like three or four more that he doesn't have into comic book form, but he just has written out the story. And so I'm trying to like go through this stuff to read it to like find what the story is here and like what I can do with this thing. And it's just taking me forever, man. Like I just am so busy. Like I'll read like a couple panels. And then I'll get through a little bit and then, you know, and he keeps on, he's so sweet. He like, he'll email me every week and like, sometimes he'll call me and just, you know, check in. And I like, really want to help this guy out with this movie, but it's like, they basically has nothing, you know, he doesn't have any like script or outline or anything. Like he just has this the, the idea for the comic book. And it's like pretty massive. It's got two different stories, like one on an alien planet, one on earth. And it's really cool, especially the alien planet story. But it's like, man, you know, like we're so far away from like being a thing. It's kind of like, I don't know, do I want to even go down this road? You know, but like, no, part of me is, yeah, <laughs> no, part of me is like, well, why not? Like at least explore it and see what, see where it goes, see if there's something there. But I mean, I guess your take is like, don't do it unless there's money involved, right? Like don't. Or like, if this person is just so fun to talk to and hang out with that you're like, hey, I'm okay that I'm not being paid right now because I derive something else from this experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens with it. You know, I, I mean, I think eventually <laughs> I will get I will get through and read it all. I think for the most part. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's, it's just too big, I think, you know, and it's like it's kind of like a Superman-ish type thing, you know, which I think you could scale down to like making like a smaller budget movie or like something with it. But in a lot of ways, it's just it's just too big. But it's still fun to be like wanted by somebody. Even right. If they don't have I was any about money. to say, like the flattering <laughs> part of it is really compelling, right? Like that someone reached out to you and they want you and they they see something in you. 
But no, I don't do it, Alric. That's my <laughs> ultimate advice. <laughs> don't do it. Back away slowly. <laughs> Back away slowly or say, you know, or buy yourself time and say like, hey, if you get me an outline of what you think you're looking for in a writer, like that buys you some time and puts a little bit work on their plate before it goes on your plate entirely. Like it just seems like there's too much of a burden on you for a stranger to put on you and without payment and without kind of any sort of promise of this film being made in any way, shape or form. Like it just seems like so many questions. But yeah, if you derive some sort of joy, (laughs) (laughs) then do it. I mean, this, I have this question I'm asking myself lately, inspired by by a, a colleague of mine. And it's like, how does it serve you? How does this task serve you in the long run? Right. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think we kind of tell ourselves stories of like, well, I'm needed or I'm wanted or they like me or I'm or I'm doing something to take something off someone's plate or whatever it is. But ultimately, does it serve a bottom line? And that might be a cold way to evaluate your life. But the bottom line can be joy. Does it serve you living a joyful existence? Then it doesn't feel so cold and sterile and capitalistic. Right. I think I came to a little bit of this distance because I took my first trip by myself this past weekend. Wow. In years, which anyone who listens to the podcast might know is a huge deal because I've oh, just yeah. been a little recluse hiding away with my family for since the pandemic. But I, I took a trip to the barrier to see my family and I went solo and it, it was like, oh, hey, I need to hail a uh, lift by myself and I could fix a vacuum cleaner by myself. It was all these things that I like <laughs> had never done for the past few years. It was just really nice to remind myself that I'm actually a strong, independent person. And then it, it caused me, you know, and to kind of audit some of the way I spend my time. And I really want to do more things by myself. So I'm trying to do more things by myself. And also, I'm trying to make more money. These are the, my priorities for the next year, <laughs> is independence and, and moolah. <laughs> is this the f- first alone trip you've had without your son, like, ever? Or is this just, like, the first one in a long time? Or It's the first know? one ever that wasn't for work. It's, wow. Yeah, so in four years... The only trips I took away from my son were for work when I absolutely had to. When Sundance was like, you have to come. And I was like, but I don't want to. And they were like, you have to. And so I said, okay. So yeah, this was a very, very big deal. But it was like such a nice wake up call. Like, I don't have to feel guilty about leaving my son for a few days. Yeah. I Beth just had her first one away from our daughter, I think in January. Uh, it was, yeah. and she went to see her family for the weekend. And, you know, it's funny. It's like, like yeah, she's almost two, and that's the first time she'd ever yeah. left <laughs> at yeah. all. You know, you know, I think she enjoyed it, and it was, like, you know, nice to have some uh, this time being with her family where she wasn't having to also, you know, change a diaper. <laughs> you know, every oh, yeah. Time. Yeah. <laughs> that's and wonderful. And then, you know, yeah. But I don't know. I feel like... It's interesting because especially you talk about like never wanting to leave your son. So that that must have been a pretty big deal for you to like actually go. It wasn't even a question because, you know, I've got some family situation going on right now that I don't like even really want to talk about. But Mm. it kind of felt like, well, I have to go. And it would be more Mm. complicated if I brought my kid and my husband and create more stress for everyone. So it didn't even seem like a question. It's like, you know, you just do what you have to do. If it were, and we ran into this with Austin Film Festival, but also like I've had friends invite me on trips, things like that. And I'm always like, no, (laughs) no way. Like it's not even a question (laughs) that I wouldn't go. Right. So now I'm trying to say like, maybe it should be a question. Like maybe I can say yes to some things, have a little bit more autonomy over my schedule and my life and not just kind of do things because they're the way that they've been done for four years. Yeah, I think that's healthy. Any movie updates of any kind that you want to talk about? I am watching horror films all the time in order to prepare myself. I'm doing all the squishy creative stuff right now. So I'm spending my mornings before work doing squishy creative stuff. So that's the only update, really. That's the best. I guess so. (laughs) 
<laughs> it, like, it really is the most fun stuff, but it feels like the least productive because you're just like, oh, I'm just like dreaming and having a good time and thinking about how awesome this is going to be. Right. So you feel like you should be suffering more is how I feel. Maybe you don't well, feel that way. I feel like Steven Spielberg would say the dreaming part is the is the making the movies part. You know, he's yeah. always talking about how films are dreams and you oh. make them reality. So, well, he's yeah. healthy. He's healthier than I am. Well, he's also not an independent filmmaker, so he doesn't right. really he doesn't know what it what it really means. For, he could afford to dream. He could afford. He, he could afford it. to do whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of affording things, can you afford a few dollars for your favorite podcast? If you can, don't forget to support us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. It is how we keep the show going. It is becoming more and more important every single day. We really would love the support. And also don't forget to check out our sponsor, jambox.io, a royalty-free music and SFX company. They emphasize high quality cinematic cues. They offer customized plans to fit your needs and their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood level films, working with directors like Michael Bay, Martin Scorsese, or global brands like DJI. Without any more delay, here's our chat with Jay Shim. All right, Jay, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Give us your elevator pitch for your film, Opus Cope. Sure. Thanks for having me. Opus Cope is a music documentary film that's about AI composer David Cope and the ways in which humans and machines are creative. And it features excerpts from the first AI composed opera, which he com- which David composed in the late 80s and had performed in 1991, I believe, unbeknownst to the public at the time, because he didn't want people to know that it was composed by an algorithm. Okay, there's 45 questions that I can't ask at the moment. How many days did you shoot? It took, total filming time took between 2016 and 2019. It was filmed over the course of, of, you know, years. But in terms of actual days, I'd say close to 27. Sorry, I lost my thing here. Budget. What was the rough budget for the film? Rough budget, I'd say, I'd like to joke is, was my budget. So probably, I probably didn't even reach 10, 10K. And this is, this is including, I had edited the film myself. So, I mean, this was pretty as, as no budget, my budget as it gets. I want to know how you met David Cope, but the question is, what was the origin of the idea? So if you could stuff in the meeting story in there, so I my, my curiosity could be quelled. It's a very selfish desire that I'm putting out there in the world. Yeah, I, I discovered David through a Radiolab podcast, actually, called Musical DNA. And they were playing the recomposed version of Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, and I was so intrigued by it. You know, it felt like something out of a science fiction movie, stranger than fiction. And I just felt at the time this was something I had to to look into further. And so I contacted David by email. And from the get go, he was very generous and and open, willing to share. After a few back and forth emails, I asked him if I could visit him in Santa Cruz for an initial interview. But he was he was always yeah generous and and game for for anything really. So the right timing, right place, right time. I want to say. How long do you start? Do you spend on working on the film from like when you originally heard you know him on the podcast to the movie coming out? So I heard him in. I heard the podcast in 2016 and finished I Locked Picture in 2019, right before the Sundance deadline. That was just an arbitrary deadline that I, I set for myself. But at the time, it was, a, it was time to, it, I, I felt good about everything. And, you know, this is, it's time to tie a knot in this and move on to the next project. But then as, as we all know, COVID happened and my festival kind of run would be delayed, kind of got stuck in limbo for a bit. But but took the opportunity to connect with people who have been doing this for a lot longer than I have, getting the help of mentors and and 
festival and distribution consultants. It's so, I got to do a follow-up. Sorry, Ark, like, because this is too interesting. So for four years from 2019 to 2023, did you open picture at all? Or were you just getting advice from people about how to put it out into the world? Like, is the film the same today as it was in 2019? I would say so, yes. Wow, that's okay. And this is an interesting corollary that just is happenstance. That's our next question. If you could change one thing about the film in any way, what would it be? I wish... Well, it's, it's a it's more of a, a budget issue, but I, 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 I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with it to be honest. I wouldn't change a thing. This was kind of a reflection of where I was at the time and what I wanted to do creatively. So I I don't I've moved on, and that's kind of you know it opens up the door to pursuing perfection that I, I don't I don't like to get stuck in. Um, after a certain point, I like to say it's it's good enough. I did my best. I'm satisfied and I don't I, I don't I don't see it too productive to to think about stuff like that too much. Can you uh, talk a little bit about like your process for this documentary? Was it just you and a camera with the the interview subject or was there another way that you approached some of these the different shoots throughout the the project? Yeah, I mean the process was very organic. I didn't what I thought was my process in the beginning eventually turned out to be different. I had an initial interview with David in 2016 and kind of, uh, I had pieces of kind of a, a, a short documentary, but it wasn't focused in any kind of way. And as for a lot of documentaries, it's, it's hard to find an, an angle to get in. And, and there's so much, so much information. And so for me, it, you know, going through this interview, I, I didn't feel at the time I had the pieces for an interesting film, the way that I wanted to tell it. So, because originally I, I wanted this film to be a short film. I, I didn't even imagine it to be a feature, but it turned, I, I, I just, after that initial interview, I was like, there's no way that I, that I can, a short film wouldn't do David justice. And so no one, and I learned that no one had made a feature documentary on David. So subsequent visits to David, you know, it was just, it ended up just being me hanging out with David Cope more or less. And on one of these shoots, I just, you know, let, I told him, don't, don't mind me. I, I'll, I'll film around you. Just let me, let me just document what you're doing today and you know, whatever you're working on at the moment. And, and David's, you know, he's, he's always active and a prolific writer. So at the time he was working on a book, which was titled The Creative Machine. And it, it, it was his kind of reflections on what creativity is. And he was actually brainstorming at the time on like a sketch pad. And, and at that moment, I, I realized this is something it, like I, 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 I learned myself that the, this film that I wanted to make was a film about creativity itself. It wasn't so much this literal AI music or this, this, this broad, you know, film about AI in general. It was this very specific take on what creativity means from someone who spent their entire life dedicated to creativity itself. And from there, things started, the process started to, to become clearer for me, kind of taking a cue from David's brainstorming process. It's almost like I, I wanted this film to, to, to unfold like that creative process itself. And I started connecting the dots, you know, just that's when I really, really started having fun with things and incorporating his music and, and blending it with, with reality, right? Visually. And eventually I thought it, 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 it'd be fun to do kind of my, my take on Fantasia, but as a documentary, right? I, th I think now it, to get, to give people a sense of what kind of film it is, I say it's, it's a cross between like Fantasia, Cave of Forgotten Dreams and Koyana Skatsi. <laughs> and, and only, only, one of those films at the time, uh, you know, were in my own database, and, and that was Fantasia. I didn't, I didn't know about, I'd, I hadn't seen those two other films at the time. But in hindsight, now it's it's, it's kind of there are the elements of of those kind of films that I, I see in this one. So you haven't said it explicitly quite yet, but it, I think we're talking about the blending of documentary and fiction, right? And I, I broke up with documentaries as a filmmaker after film school because of my own weird proclivities, but I, I was so obsessed with legacy, right? Doing someone right, doing someone's legacy, right? So I'm just curious, what kind of conversations did you have with David when you said, 
this is not going to be a verite documentary. I'm not trying to reflect you in a literal way. I'm reflecting your experience in a figurative way. Was he just on board or like, talk about that negotiation process? I'm similar to my experience leading up to meeting him. He was, he's always been on board, supportive of my crazy ideas. And I think that's also because he's, he's always been very bold with his work and his music. He was experimenting with computer generated sounds like electronic sounds into his music doing very avant-garde types of 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 of, uh, compositions so he's he always embraced the unexpected and unpredictable so he was always he was all for it and which that that only fueled my passion and, and desire to 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 do a great job and yeah like you said do justice to his story in a way that that I that I feel like it would. I, a lot of this film was me resisting documentary and particularly reality and conventions at the time. Um, that's kind of how I came up through the industry. I I got my foot in the door on a Hulu, early Hulu docu series called Behind the Mask, which is about sports mascots. And so I've been working in you know editorial or camera departments. That's how I kind of climbed my ranks. But yeah, it's I just kind of got fed up with the not not just aesthetics, but you know how the story is told. And it was for you know being it was the perfect feature film project for me because it's again it's a, you know being about creativity itself. That that's a character in in the film. It's I'm, I'm having fun with that idea, like and and what what a documentary should be, for example. So, you know, it's playful in that way. How do you feel like your career in editing, like kind of helped you get prepared to make this documentary? Like what was it about it by kind of, like you said, rising the ranks, like what kind of opened the door for you to take on such a big creative endeavor? I, I'm not sure if there was a singular moment, but I had been in LA for going on four years, I want to say. And, you know, my, my end objective has always been to direct. And I just felt like I'm obviously not going to become a director by PAing my way to the top. And, and I've worked on, I've worked on so many uh, projects. It's, it's my, my trajectory has been so like, I've been worked on every single type of project in every single department, I want to say. And at the time I felt like I have this, I needed to, to, to take a shot more or less, you know, I, I need to throw a jab out there. A creative jab and the editing for sure prepared me for this project because just as it being a documentary it it's so editing intensive the story is as they say is made in the edit and i think editors naturally are kind of bringing it back to this the theme of you know ai and algorithms they have an eye for patterns and so when you spend hours looking at footage you're in you know you subconsciously, whether you know you're trying or not, you you can identify certain repetitive shots, themes, or ideas. You know, and you and you can we we group them in sequences, right? And 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 those together, we kind of naturally do that. We are kind of like algorithms in a sense. So by you know having edited a bunch of stuff before, it yeah it, it primed me to take on something on this scale. I I think there's like a lot to talk about in the years of 2019 to 2023 that we haven't even tapped into. And it's like, did you spend two years in the festival circuit because of the pushback of COVID and virtual screenings or like, uh, it's a a giant task that I'm putting in front of you to like explain four years and two minutes. But I'm just saying like, what was the best advice you got that led to this theatrical for the film? Like ramp us up a little bit. Yeah, I wasn't, well, I had applied to some festivals before COVID hit. You know, this was my first feature film and I, yeah, I, I wasn't, I didn't know what I was doing, you know? So I, I applied to the, the big name festivals just because I thought I had to, right? And then COVID hit and then things weren't, I mean, just, it just seemed festivals weren't happening and I felt like I was stuck in limbo. Like I had just finished this marathon of a project and I, I just felt stuck and I didn't, I didn't have, uh, I didn't know anyone close to me around me that uh, could give me advice. So 
you know, I, I took time, the time when we're all stuck at home to, you know, research and read up on figures in the doc industry that, that I felt like were like-minded or, you know, that I, that I could reach out to. And, and one person was someone named Sean Farnell, and he was the former director at Hot Docs, outspoken advocate for independent filmmakers. And just reading what he, you know, he's another bold voice and not afraid to speak his mind. So I was like, hey, I should, I just like, I felt like this, I like what this guy's saying. I want to reach out and and see if he'd be willing to, you know, to, to offer some advice. And turns out he's, he's been, he's been a consultant in Canada for filmmakers, you know, for some time now. So no, he, he was, he was a very integral help in, you know, kind of telling the reality of what it is, you know, like most just the, the festival circuit and, and the, the odds of getting into a top tier festival and, and where, you know, where our time would be better spent pursuing more uh, niche festivals since this is, it, it, I mean, like, as I've been t- sharing this film to you, it's, it's, it's hard to really put it into a certain box, right? It, it's neither this or that. It's fiction, documentary, is it about science or, or music, you know, all these things. Yeah, you helped me really kind of hone in a list of festivals that, that were more music film festivals and strategy, being more intentional with, with strategy there. And so that actually, yeah, I think the first festival that we got into was one called Decibels, which is part of SF Indie Fest. And that was virtual at the time. And then our next one, we got invited to a festival in France called Rock This Town in, in Po, which is in the southwest corner of France. And that was pretty, I mean, for me as a filmmaker, that was pretty unforgettable because I've never felt so much love before. <laughs> Just loved as 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 uh not as just a filmmaker and understood but just as as i don't know an, an individual over there is just went over there and they just they got everything i i i didn't really have to explain much the judges came up to me and you know started we started talking about the film and it everything felt easy and natural and, it, and this is all new to me this is i've never done a festival run before let alone during a pandemic so that was wild that that whole time i'll never forget you know being invited to that festival sorry i'm kind of like rambling <laughs> What's well no i mean i i'm getting a little bit about like the specialty festivals and you having a mentor but i'm still thinking like are you we haven't even said are you self-distributing this film or is there like a way that you pitch this film to distributors that or did sean essentially say fuck that they're not gonna get it you advocate for your film yourself yeah, we we definitely had those conversations, and yeah, uh, getting a traditional distributor, especially in this climate, you know, I, I didn't. That wasn't going to be part of the strategy, and so self distribution was. I, I so it was something I wanted to do, but then you know I heard some good things about a distributor called Indie Rights, and you know I I had I asked other filmmakers about their experiences and. You know, it would at least put us on a few platforms, and you know, I, I'm still I'm still learning right now. Like it, all the tail end of this stuff, it, it it's it's still a learning process. So this f- film, you got to treat it like like it's your it's it's a business that you're always whenever you have time, you you're watering the plant, right? So you know, now it's it's kind of like you need certain amount of reviews to you know to make it onto Amazon Prime because we're we're technically on the Amazon instant side the TVOD side right so in order for for our film to to get kicked into the algorithm so to speak you know we need to have a certain amount of reviews and and you know that that's that's all part of this you know the work after you think the the film ends right but the work never ends <laughs> so i saw you're going to have a screening in theaters coming up really soon at the end of the month like, is that in conjunction with your distribution through indie rights? Or is that something that you're doing on your own? Or is it through someone else? Like, how's that come coming together? That actually kind of fell into our lap. I had no intention of, you know, showing this in a the theater at all. I was, I was like, it's it's on VOD, you know, my, 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 you know, it's out of my hands. But a friend of Greg Lemley emailed me out of the blue one day and said, yeah, he's like, 
friends with Greg, and he he wants to invite you to screen the film at his theaters. And I was like, okay. But how did he find out about it? Oh, I mean, this is yeah, this uh, important detail right there. So he his friend was a former student of David's. So I guess because we we screened the film in Santa Cruz last October for I we our final festival screening was was there in David's hometown. So I I guess he had gotten wind of the film and he you know he reached out on Facebook to me. Yeah, here we are <laughs> a few months later, screenings uh, happening on the twenty seventh and twenty eighth. Yeah, another kind of you know this has all been. Kind of learn, learn as I go. To be honest, I, I wish, I wish I could give like eloquent, uh, like I had thought all these things, you know, well out in advance. But a lot of it's just been trial and error. To be honest, and being my first feature documentary. I work in distribution. I, I'm a sales rep, so I do work similar to what Sean does. I'm, I'm aware of Sean, and he seems lovely for, for you know, whatever I know of Sean. We just had a guest, Don Jones Redstone, on the show. She made and was recommended by the same publicist, by the way, by Smart House Creative, who recommended you. And she also was in no hurry to get to distribution. And it it's very interesting to me. It's almost like perplexing to me because as a consultant, I'm working with filmmakers and I'm like, you don't want to be a distressed asset. You don't want distributors to see you as old news. You got to get out there fast. There's this like perceived timeline that in actuality, I think all three of us know doesn't exist, right? It's perceived, it's assumed, it's it's fabricated. You're proving that it is fabricated with the fact that you had a theatrical distributor just reach out four years after you made the movie and says, can you, you know, can you play this? What were you ever worried about time or were was this ever a concern for you? Because you seem very patient with this film. And I would say that is something Too not I don't know. <laughs> You've made some smart decisions. I would say most filmmakers feel the need to rush and you don't seem to feel that. I think partially it's because I set very realistic expectations from the beginning. Again, this is my first feature film. I I don't know what I'm doing. I still kind of don't. So to me, it was the most important thing for me was to 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 have something that at the end of the day I can say did my best and 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 damn I'm I'm pretty happy with that. And if I died tomorrow, I'd be happy. That's 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 at the top of my list. Everything else is a bonus. And with all the stuff that was happening, you know, I, I, you know, in the world at the time, and still is happening. You know, I always kind of remind myself and try to be grounded in that, you know, as much as I, as all this stuff means the world to me, that it's okay. It's not the end of the world. It, it's like I can kind of step back and, and, and be patient, for lack of a better word, that things will work out in the end. So now that you've made your first feature length documentary slash fiction film slash, you know, exploration of creativity, what are you thinking you're going to do for your next project? Like, do you have an idea of like where you want to go next as an artist? Or, like what kind of thing you want to tackle? Or are you still just sort of waiting for that bit of inspiration for the next thing to grab you, to help you make it, you know? It's definitely something I've been thinking about a lot lately because I'm in this in-between space. And this one's kind of a tough act to follow <laughs> because I it was just an ambitious project to pursue and in, in, in all aspects, it's it's hard to top. And I I, I jokingly wonder if I'll if I be stuck in a you know like a writer's block or a composer's block like David was, which sparked him to create his own, you know, his his program. But I'd at least like to I'd like I'd like to explore, you know, episodic and serial work, you know, because you know I'd like to talk about sustainability as a filmmaker, right? Like that's make, making movies is is hard, but making making money making movies, that's I want to say is <laughs> is even harder. So or near impossible. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've had a couple of friends they're like, why don't you look at I mean, the work's all in TV and whatnot. And you know, you hear about, you know, these directors that go in for a day or whatever in a week to make 20k, you know, per per week or something. And that, that sounds really nice. <laughs> But then at that point, it's like you're you're kind of in that ecosystem and, and you're not really, you know, on a show, let's say, for example, I don't know, like a show like CSI, 
it's a well-oiled machine at that point. You're not really exercising much creativity, I want to say. But I'd like to, I'd like to believe there's some middle ground between that and, and this I'm kind of this lone penguin right now, right? Kind of going away from the colony and and doing crazy things. But I'd like I'd like to think there's some like middle ground there where you know as long as I bring back something to the colony, you know, I'll, I'll get some food. You know, <laughs> <laughs> going back to sustainability, you know, you have a very low over, low overhead for this film, but I'm also super hyper aware of the different windows of distribution and how expectations need to be incredibly reasonable for returns for indie filmmakers. Are you, have you hit that point yet? Like, are you at the point where you're, I mean, are you idealistic about profiting from this film? Are you ambitious? Have you already profited from it and you just haven't said it out loud on this podcast? Like, where is your mindset in terms of sustainability from this project? Uh, like I said before, I have didn't have any expectations to 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 generate much revenue from this let alone get rich off of it i think it, it's for me it's more of a stepping stone into other creative the next creative step that said you know i've taken the time during all of this to you know to explore other alternate paths and there's a community that i'm a part of called show and tell i'm mm-hmm. not sure if you're familiar and keith aqua yeah He's been very, you know, helpful in in supporting PBS underwriting as as an avenue uh, for revenue, and that's actually been I've I, I I like the idea of applying our creativity to other aspects of this whole process, right? Not just production, or it's you can also you know attempt to to go at it from a different way and. I think timing-wise, the subject of this film, you know, there's a boom and explosion in AI or generative art right now, and much interest in this topic. So, I, in, in my own experience navigating, you know, PBS and underwriting, I feel there's there's potential there. I I I don't remain. I'm not idealistic. I know it's tough. It's not easy. The sponsorship game, you know, and that's a skill set that I've never really tapped into, which is fine. But I, I, you know, I, I take it kind of as a challenge. And when I, when I, when I, you know, when I'm in that kind of mindset, it, it's it's kind of fun and enjoyable actually because it's so new and exciting that in a way, you know, ignorance is bliss. I don't know how <laughs> tough it is, but you know, I, I had a friend who I told him what I'm doing, and and he's he's all up. That's his world in the VC world. He's all about fighting sponsors and connecting people and all that. That's not me. I, I'm the creative guy. And he was telling me like, Jay, this is so not you. What are you doing? Like, you shouldn't be doing this stuff. But, you know, I, I told him, you know what, this, this is a blind spot for me. And I feel like it's something that I need to to learn to get better at regardless. So I'm treating it, you know, with a positive perspective. But again, that, you know, finding sponsors, especially now, the temper, the, you know, the global temperature right now ain't too hot. It, it feels like for a lot of people. So it's definitely, you got to put in the work and build relationships for that. For that. To kind of double down on Liz's question about sustainability, like what are you doing to pay the bills? Are you, are you just editing and doing freelance gigs? Like how is it, how are they, are you able to fulfill your, keep your creative stuff going while also, you know, having an apartment or, to, or a house to live in? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's always been, I've, I've always been a freelancer ever since moving here, you know, like it's been 10 over, just over 10 years now. And I've been editing more and, and being the pandemic kind of further put me in that editing, you know, editing work. So yeah, that's, I've, I've you know, it's always been a combination of camera and editing to pay the bills. But yeah, like I said, I, you know, we're all trying to figure it out and love to actually direct more, uh, you know, have, have directing bring money, you know, so, you know, uh, right now, it's all been the on the tail end of of this filmmaking journey with this project and and getting into the nitty gritty of distribution and and now publicity and PR and and seeing you know, how it all works right and now but I've also been meeting people on the on the front end of it like the development side and so I'm realizing okay there are just like how there are distributors for certain types of films there are also you know, comp- development and production companies that specialize in the in certain kinds of films too. So, you know, that that these are all kind of things that that I'm you know just getting deeper into and, and 
while I, you know, work on future longer form, let's say features, which, as you know, move at a glacial pace, those are things that you're going to have to address and, and building those relationships, you know, and, but short term, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I'm nothing, nothing sexy. It's just good old freelance work, you know, and getting whatever scraps I can. That's, that's, I'm a very scrappy filmmaker for better or worse. Yeah, I was a freelancer for nine years. So I, I know what you're talking about. It's whatever comes your way, whatever you can get. <laughs> right. But the, you know, the, 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 the work itself has becoming, you know, fortunate to get more interesting types of work. Now, a friend of mine, actually, he did the sound. He was the supervising sound editor on this film, Mike James Gallagher. He works for a sound effects company called Pro Sound Effects. And he interviewed Chris Nolan's sound designer recently, Richard King. And yeah, he put me on as an editor to, to help edit some episodes for the company. So that, you know, that's, you know, that's another cool, you know, it's work, but also interesting at the same time. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we've all had our share of not so fun gigs, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's time for our final six questions. So I'm going to jump it off with what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? First film I ever made was, a, yeah, this is like a student film shot on like a Sony DV cam or something. I think it was called like Sin Number Six. It might even be on YouTube, but it was as as a I just filmed my, my friend Greg eating like a, a burger or something, just like his. <laughs> And, and him choking on the burger and dying. That, that was it. It was just like a very, <laughs> it was about uh, gluttony, I think, or I, I don't know what I was trying to do at the time, but it's just, yeah, him chowing down on a burger in, in almost grotesque fashion and eventually, uh, yeah, take it, you know, succumbing to the burger. <laughs> What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Best filmmaking advice. That's a great question. Hmm. I think... I don't know if it's the best, but it's something that I've thought about because I've heard advice that I didn't completely agree with. And that is no one else can really get you to where you want to be. And, and I, I, I guess I should give context. It's like, you know, I've, I've always been told network, network, network. And, you know, it's, it, it, it is, it's about who you know in this town. And of course I, it, it is that that's a lot of it is relationships, but that makes it sound like people are going to hand things to you or you're not going to have to do most of the work yourself. And so the advice I would like to give is that, yeah, like no one can get to where you want to be. You have to do most of the work yourself. And if it's not obvious, you know, it's, it's blood, sweat and tears. It's not easy, you know? And so like, is it worth, is it worth it to you in the end, you know, because people don't talk about the toll, all the, the dark side of, of making films and, you know, being an artist, an actual artist, isn't desirable. <laughs> like in LA, people like romanticize that idea and, and like the image, the idea of being an artist and maybe looking like one and having good taste. But an actual artist is, you know, you're, you're broke, you're, you're, you're depressed, you know, like it's, it's, it's not, it's not pretty. <laughs> so at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, have to ask yourself, is it worth it to you? I don't know if that's if that answered your question, but. <laughs> well, the second, the follow-up question is, what's the worst advice you've ever received? Would network, network, network be the worst advice? <laughs> I think it's, it's on a related note. I think it's not exactly advice, but not letting other people define success for you. And I think that's that's been a little easier for me, not having grown up in LA and being kind of outside the ecosystem, being a quote unquote outsider or a lone penguin in a way. <laughs> never, I was never afraid to kind of figure it out for myself. And so, yeah, that, I don't, again, it's not a piece of advice that, that was given to me, but that's something that you made me think of, of that. Again, yeah, it's being that, it's being, I, I don't, I never, I never uh, minded being the, the little nimble, scrappy mouse that, you know, as a filmmaker, moving it between, you know, the giants, the elephants that are the studios, you know, you know, at least that's where I'm at now. And it's kind of, that's kind of the path I've been on. It's not, it isn't for everyone. And, and I get it if, it if you don't want it to be that either, but it's, it's something that I've been comfortable doing. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? To make money directing, <laughs> to make money making films. Nice. 
if you could go back in time and give a piece of advice to yourself, what would it be? I'll just be be kinder to myself, I guess. It's there's so many things that are within our control, and um, especially in documentary filmmaking, <laughs> it's I mean, kind of asking for pain. You know, you just you've probably heard the expression in in, in narratives. The director is God, but in documentaries, God is the director, right? So, especially in docs, you're everything. Nothing is ever going to go to plan, and you just have to, you know, just be kinder to to my younger self and trust in the process, patience, which I'm not. I'm getting better at, you know. No, I think you have patience locked down, Jay. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think you need to work on that, from my perspective. <laughs> Yeah, so that, yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. It's funny you mentioned you mentioned patience because now on the flips on on the business side of things, I'm trying to challenge a more chaotic kind of impatient get shit done energy. You know, like because the creative stuff, I, I can you know, I, it's easy to be this precious and and have this purest kind of process to it. But for business, gloves the gloves come off, anything goes right. So. I, I don't mind, you know, channeling that that energy right now. And final question: Is making movies hard? Yes and no. <laughs> I I think they're not easy, but like I said before, making a living making movies is hard. Love it. You did it. You survived the gauntlet <laughs> of our questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks so much. This was actually uh, my first podcast, so. Welcome. Oh, nice. Happy yeah. to induct you into your newest obsession or addiction. Where do you want to send people, though? Like, do you have? Do you, are you on social? Like, do you want to direct people to a specific place? Sure, definitely follow us on all the social media platforms. Our handle is O P C O P E Film. That's also the website as well. Yeah, we got that screening coming up, and and have a PBS broadcast scheduled later in the year so definitely follow us and check for updates so i think i'm gonna get this out on the 27th just looking at our schedule so people hearing this tonight at seven o'clock if you're in los angeles could go to the lemley theaters and watch this movie you can watch it today and then wait better yet if you miss it today you can watch it tomorrow on tuesday the 28th so come check them out man <laughs> Yeah. My little empathetic punch push. <laughs> we need that. I mean, yeah, it's increasingly rare to, to even see films at a theater these days. So, and this, I, I envision, you know, like a musical visual experience. So I, I'm thrilled that it's playing at a theater, let alone Lemley. So yeah, please get out there and watch this film about very inspirational human being. Thank you. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. Alric, what do you remember about our chat with Jay yesterday? Just so long ago yesterday. I mean, talking about dreamers... <laughs> He felt like a total dreamer, you know, and just like this, like this artist guy, like wrapped up in his idea of like how to make this film and tell this story. And, you know, his whole freelance background felt very familiar to me, you know, it kind of like felt like looking back to a version of myself that never existed, like being this freelance filmmaking artist person who's like, well, I don't know, I, I'm not. I guess I'm just reading in like it just seemed like Jay was single. Like maybe he's not, you know, oh, but like just yeah, I don't know. But just like looking at his lifestyle and everything, it just seemed like this like a free man just out in the world, like making his art, working on his projects and like not having to like, a, a, you know, basically account for anything bes besides himself. It's like, that's the way I saw him. This yeah. is probably mostly in my brain and like not actually in reality because we didn't talk about any of those things. Because like when I was a freelancer, I basically had, you know, I was in relationships like basically the whole time. So like, you know, I never really had that like complete 100% like, you know, doing whatever sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I don't know. So that's why I took away from just his whole his whole thing. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to go to Santa Cruz and make this movie about this guy and 
you know, just do is like really, it seemed very free, you know, his whole experience and his whole art process and everything about what he was doing seemed very free and open, which seemed beautiful. But what did, but what about you? What did you take away? Well, I mean, similar, not, not, I didn't have the kind of romantic dreams of that, but just the idea that he was so like, he was so like, I always talk about this, he was so calm about his career. And what's weird, we didn't even talk about how we got a poll quote from Penny Lane. Penny Lane is like such a huge deal documentary filmmaker who blends fiction and documentary quite a lot. And it's like, he worked with Sean Farnell. He got a pull quote from Penny Lane. Greg Lemley reached out to him for, <laughs> you know, theatrical. It's like things kind of came to him. Like he worked for them. But it was just so interesting that he just kept with the project, had faith, and like opportunities were attracted to him. And that's that as a control freak, that's a very improbable scenario for me to buy into, right? But he's yeah. telling me that that's what happens. So it happens, people. It happens. Like you work on your project, you can create opportunities for yourself just by caring and researching and networking in a very low pressure way. Yeah. I feel like people, I hear that a few times from people on the show where they're like, oh yeah, like I made this thing, someone saw it and they reached out and they hired me to do this yeah. thing. I'm like, wow. Will that ever happen to me? Right. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe one day. Right. But that seems like the totally the ideal scenario, you know? But yeah, no, it was a fun conversation. I hope you guys all liked it. What I'm really excited to talk about is this new, brand new, you're the expert segment that we've got going on here. This is probably like the third or fourth time that we've done it. This question, well, before I even get to the question, I'm explaining what it is. So basically, um, our producer, Eric Toms, has decided that this is a really great idea to have a question that he knows Liz and I are the experts at, or or not the, necessarily the experts, but that we're expert enough that we should be able to answer this question and give like a definitive answer that is actionable and 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 correct, basically. So he'll just give us these like little quick like questions, and uh, then we just pontificate on them. This week we have a listener who uh, asked us one, Mason Treen, and so this is the first ever. A listener asked the you're the expert, not ask the expert. <laughs> the first ever, the first ever listener, you're the expert question. Here it goes. I've finished my first short. It's ready to be shared. What's a first step from a distribution standpoint that I can take to di- differentiate myself from the thousands of short films, millions, Amy, <laughs> made every month? What do you think, Liz? What would you do here? Okay, so this is like such a big question, right? And I feel like we've answered it in different <laughs> ways throughout the past few years, but we'll try to aggregate like meaningful advice for Mason. I mean, that's why people do film festivals is to kind of differentiate <laughs> their film from the millions uh, that come out every month. And sometimes it's worth the expense and the investment of time and energy and money. And sometimes it's not. So the first question is to ask yourself, Mason, like, do you want to invest in a film festival release? If you don't, the second idea is, do you want to pitch your film to a platform like Film Shortage or Short of the Week or No Budge or Omeletto or whatever and see if they want to premiere your film? Like, when you have an exclusive asset, like a film that hasn't premiered yet, you have a little bit more leverage and power. If you're not interested in that and you just want to put it up on YouTube, then I'm going to say what I always say, which is you build up an audience and a network through your personality, through social media, through newsletter, through in-person events, and you talk about the movie in an emotionally transparent, candid way in an effort to get your network to go and see it and support it. And it it would be as simple as picking a release date, doing a countdown via email to the hundreds of names and email addresses you've gathered, and then on your launch date, getting as many as people and many people as possible to share, like, tweet, Facebook, view it, and try to try to engage it in the algorithm of whatever platform you put it on. These are all really big picture piece of advice. So I'd be curious what you want to say, Alric. Well, I'm going to make some assumptions. I'm going to assume this movie has already gone through the festival route and that they've done that and that's been done. I will say that like that was probably a time to release the movie online, you know, is like maybe at the last film festival that it premiered at might have been good um, just to like use that event to like, you know, yes. you know, launch the movie out into the world, basically. 
But yeah, let's say that ship has sailed, so that can't happen. I love what you're saying about like trying to find a platform for it. I feel like I used to be a big fan of trying to do it on your own, you know, Vimeo page or YouTube page to like kind of bring people to you and your own thing. But I think unless that is what you want to do with your time to like build up an audience and to like build a, a, a YouTube channel that you're like contributing to like once a week with a new video at, at minimum, then I would say that's probably not the best place to do thing to do. I think you should take advantage of, you know, one of these other services or channels that, that have like, you know, that do release movies every week, you know, and like have yours be one of those because then you're going to instantly get like way more eyeballs on it. And then, you know, you can find an audience that way. So like, that's probably what I would do is try to figure out which site makes the most sense or, or, or YouTube channel or whatever like makes the most sense for your movie and then go after them. I think always worth a film shortage. Well, let me put it this way. I think short of the week is like the longest shot in the world, but like, I, I do feel like it's also worth it. You know, film yeah. shortage is much less of a long shot. Like, you know, you're probably going to get into, like, I wouldn't say probably, but I think the chances of you getting into film shortage are a lot higher than short of the week, you know? So I wouldn't necessarily like make that the next like instant choice i would look at you know there's like if it's a horror movie like alter is a big one right like that's a a really good one to check out if it's a sci-fi movie dust which is like Mm -hmm. you know part of the same company they're a really good one and then yeah i like the one that you said amuleto i remember looking them up but there's there's thousands well not thousands but there's hundreds of these so like i would like do a lot of research to figure out like which youtube like short film youtube channel is right for you and then approach them and then see if uh, your movie can, it makes the cut, you know? And then I would do exactly what you said, set the release date, do promotion, go after every blog that talks about short films or indie films, every blog, every website you can find that does any kind of posting on any of these things and blast the shit out of all of them. Because the more people who are going to talk about you when your movie hits, the better chance you're going to have of like, you know, getting viral and hitting somewhere, you know? I've done this three times so far, four times where I've really tried to push a short film that I made online. And the first time was the most successful. And I think I got like 40,000 in in the first two weeks or something. But like every other time, it's been like a couple thousand (laughs) at best. Which is still really good. Which is still not bad, right? Which is like the funny thing. It's like if you could get to two or 3,000 in the first like few weeks, like... You're not doing so terribly because there's a lot that only get a couple hundred hits after that time. But like, if you're going to go through one of these platforms, the chances of getting to like the 5,000s, the 10,000s, the 20,000s, like you just have such a better chance of, of getting up there. Uh, if you get, you know, and I wouldn't say chosen, but if you, you get released through one of these, these platforms. So I think that's, really the way to do it. And I, I love what you said about like emailing people and doing countdowns. And I think all that stuff is really helpful because you want to make it like an event and make it a big deal. I'm actually about to do this with a short film that I Oh, you finally about. figured it out. You talked about well, this a few weeks ago. I mean, I haven't really figured it out, figured it out, but I do know we're going to do an online release because you know, my co-director wants to reach as many people as possible and going through any like sort of like place of like distributing it for money and putting on any kind of paid platform is either is a not going to result in very much, if any money and B hardly anybody will see it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So if you really want to reach people, like you got to go with, you know, these, these channels that people are going to, to watch content. So we, we, I know we already got rejected from Alter. And I believe we got rejected from, you know, short of the week. But yeah, there's a lot that we haven't gone after yet. And like, I basically, you know, I love my co-director. She's a wonderful person. Like I sent her like a list of all the ones and she was like, you pick. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> like I got to like go through and like, you know, so now basically I just decided that like in order for this movie to get released, I basically do have to just do it, you know? So, I mean, I'll do it with her, but like, you know, it's not like she's, it's clearly she's not going to do it herself because if she would have, she, yeah. if she was going to, she would have done it by now. But yeah, hopefully that helps. Mason, I want to hear about how you decide to release your, sh- your short and tell us about it and we'll we'll give it a little shout out on the show. You can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcastatmakingmoviesishard.com or if you have a question or a topic suggestion for one of our either either of our new games, the uh, You're the Expert or 
the game uh you can send those to us as well through that same email address you can also leave us a review on itunes if you really love the show we'd really appreciate that it's the best way for the show to grow and for more people to 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 find it so if you are just listening for the first time you like what you're hearing itunes review that'd be amazing you can also check us out on facebook instagram and twitter at mmih podcast and youtube at making movies is hard podcast Don't forget to check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They are an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer. They do consultation courses, contests, and of course, they have their top 25 writers list featuring some of their very best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Jay Shim for coming on the show. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. Thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. Thanks to Smart House for setting this whole thing up. Don Jones Redstone was another suggestion, you know, from Smart House, which I don't think we credited them properly on that episode. So Smart House Creative, thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing these wonderful guests to us. And we'll talk to y'all next week. sci-fi horror filmmaker and my first feature film The Alternate is out now on digital and DVD wait but what about Tubi oh my god (laughs) Jesus Uh (laughs) are you looking to grow your business and stay resilient look no further than FM Global with over 180 years of scientific research and engineering expertise, we bring innovative solutions to ensure your commercial property today so you can prosper tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.